Chapter One of On an Irish Jaunting Car Through Donegal and Connemara. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Frank Lennon. On an Irish Jaunting Car Through Donegal and Connemara by Samuel Gamble Bain. New York to Londonderry. At New York on the 26th of June, we boarded the SS Columbia, the new twin-screw steamer of the Anchor Line. Every berth was taken, and as the passengers were a bright set on pleasure bent, there was an entire absence of formality and exclusiveness. They sang, danced, and amused themselves in many original ways, while the Columbia reeled off the knots with a clock-like regularity, very agreeable to the experienced travellers on board. As our destination was Londonderry, we took a northerly course, which brought us into floating ice fields and among schools of porpoises and whales. In fact, it was an uneventful day on which some passenger could not boast of having seen a spouter just a few minutes ago. We celebrated the morning of the 4th of July in a very pretentious way, with a procession of the nations in costume and burlesques on the conditions of the day. The writer was cast to represent the Beef Trust, and at £225 the selection met with popular approval. But he found a passenger of £35 more in the foreground, and thereupon retired to the sidelines. Attorney Grant of New York made a striking Rob Roy, with his colossal Corinthian pillars in their natural condition. A long list of games and a variety of races for prizes gave us a lively afternoon, and the evening wound up with a grand concert at which Professor Green of Yale made an excellent comic oration. W. A. Ross of New York was my companion on the trip. A. B. Hepburn, ex-controller of the currency, intended going with us but was prevented at the last moment by pressure of business which we very much regretted the steamer soon sighted tory island rapidly passed malin head and then turned into loch foyle when a few miles inside the mouth of the latter we stopped at mouville and the passengers for ireland were sent up to londonderry on a tender we were so far north and the date was so near the longest day that we could easily read a paper at midnight, and, as we did not get through customs until 4 a.m., we did not go to bed, but went to a hotel and had breakfast instead. The Custom House examination at Derry, conducted under the personal direction of a collector, is perhaps the most exasperating ordeal of its kind to be found in any port in existence. The writer has passed through almost all the important custom houses in the world, and has never seen such a display of inherent meanness as was shown by this collector. He seized with glee and charged duty upon a single package of cigarettes belonging to a passenger, and he nabbed another man with a quarter pound of tobacco, thereby putting an extra shilling into his king's pocket. He was an Irish imitation Englishman and his h's dropped on the dock like a shower of peas when he directed his understrappers in a husky squeak how best to trap the passengers 
the owner of the quarter pound of tobacco poured out the vials of his wrath on the collector afterwards at the hotel i would give a five pound note to get him in some quiet place and pull his parrot nose was the way he wound up his invective neither were the ladies allowed to escape their clothing being shaken out in quest of tobacco and spirits since those are about the only articles upon which duty is charged the very last cigar was extracted by long and bony fingers from its cosy resting-place in the vest-pocket of a passenger who shall be nameless hence these tears all other ports in europe vie with one another in liberal treatment of the tourist they want his gold the writer landed both at southampton and dover last summer and at the latter place although there were over five hundred trunks and satchels on the steamer not one was opened nor was a single passenger asked a question smuggling means the sale at a profit of goods brought into the port for that purpose nothing from america can be sold at a profit unless it be steel rails and they are much too long to carry in a trunk we are now in derry as it is called in ireland and every man in it is town proud and well they may be as derry has a historical record second to but few cities in any country and its siege is perhaps the most celebrated in history at this writing it has a population of thirty three thousand and is otherwise prosperous st columba started it in five forty six a d by building his abbey then came the deadly dane invader swooping down on this and other foil settlements and glutting his savage appetite for plunder out of the ruins left by the danes arose in eleven sixty four the great abbey of abbot o'brooklawn who was at that time made the first bishop of derry the english struggled and fought for centuries to gain a foothold in this part of ireland but to no purpose until sir henry docrora landed about sixteen hundred a d on the banks of the foyle with a force of four thousand men and two hundred horse he restored fort culmore and took derry destroyed all the churches the stones of which were used for building fortifications and left standing only the tower of the cathedral which remained until after the siege in sixteen o eight sir cahar o'doherty of inishone who at first had favoured the settlement rebelled took culmore fort and burnt derry his death and the flight of the earls tyrone and tyrconnell to france left derry and other vast possessions to english confiscation over two hundred thousand acres alone falling to the citizens of london the walls were built in sixteen o nine and still remain in good condition being used as a promenade the original guns bristle from loopholes at intervals and roaring meg will always have a place in history for the loud crack she made when fired on the enemy she sits at the base of walker's monument now silent but still ugly this monument is erected on a column ninety feet high starting from a bastion on the wall and has a statue of walker on its summit one of the earliest feats in sightseeing which the writer ever accomplished was to climb to its top up a narrow flight of spiral stairs there would not be room enough for him in it now 
James I granted a new charter of incorporation to Derry in 1613 and changed the name from Derry Column Kill to Londonderry. James II laid siege to the town in person in 1689, but failed to capture it. It was defended for 105 days by its citizens under George Walker, but 2,000 of them lost their lives from wounds and starvation. On the 28th of July, the ships Mountjoy and Phoenix, by gallantly rushing in concert against the iron boom laid across the foil, broke it, and relieved the starving people with plenty of provisions, and so the siege was ended. There are seven gates in the walls of Derry. Bishop's Gate, Shipkey Gate, Butcher's Gate, New Gate, Ferry Gate, Castle Gate, and the Northern Gate, a recent addition. Those favourites of fortune who live near New York know that George Washington had some 250 headquarters and places where he once stopped, in and about the city, and that he sat in over 2,000 armchairs in them or at least that number has been sold with the genial auctioneer's guarantee of their authenticity. It is estimated that it would require a train of 25 freight cars to carry the chairs, desks, haircloth sofas, saddlebags, guns and pistols that have been sold as relics from his headquarters at Madame Jumel's alone, Harlem absorbing 75% of this output. But for all that, King James runs George a close second. The writer is only one man, yet he has slept in three Honduras mahogany four-posters in which James preceded him, has eaten with many knives that swept the royal mouth, and today owns a bone-handled razor that is said to have scraped the face of royalty, and yet, after all, he's only comparatively happy. End of New York to Londonderry